Hello, welcome to Viewfinders, the podcast that takes you into the minds of some of the world's best photographers. I'm your host, Graham Dargie, and today's guest is Donna Krauss, a food photographer based in Surrey, England. Donna is a Nikon ambassador, a road to light master of light, and her stunning photography has brought her to the finals of the Pink Lady Food Photographer of the Year, that's the Oscars for food photography, by the way, for the last four years in a row. Donna shoots for health and food magazines, as well as recipe books, and her own book, A Healthier Family for Life, is due out in 2021. I really enjoy talking to Donna, and our conversation covers how she got into cooking, blogging and photography, how combining those passions took her from feeling completely unemployable to being one of the UK's top food photographers just a few years after first picking up a camera in her 40s. We also dig into Donna's kit bag, delve into how she shoots, and so much more. For me, I thought Donna's story was inspirational, and I'm sure you will too. If you enjoy the episode, please subscribe, leave a kind review, and give the show a five-star rating. It really helps in these early days. I'd love to connect with you, and you can find me on social media and at the Viewfinders webpage. Okay, whether you're washing the dishes, walking the dog, or wherever you are where you listen to podcasts, here's my conversation with Donna Krauss. I'm Donna Krauss. Um, as you can tell from my accent, I am originally from South Africa. I moved to the UK about six years ago. Um, and I started photographing pretty much um, about a year after we moved to the UK. Um, I actually started a blog and then developed uh, the photography side of the blog and then ended up in a career in food photography. So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, now Nikon ambassador. I'm also a Rotolite master of light, and I photograph cookery books for um, and my my main clients are actually in America. So I do them virtually. I receive a recipe, I receive a manuscript, and then I and then I do the cooking and styling and photography for for all the books. And then over and above that, I do talks and um, talks for camera clubs for Nikon School and um, brand work for a lot of brands as well. So yeah, very busy. There's a few reasons I really was struck by your photography. I just think it's, well, the style is quite striking. It's very bold and confident to me. That's how it seems. And um, we'll, we'll get into the specifics about your work and the styling. I was really impressed to hear that you do the cooking and the styling and the shooting for a book. I think that sounds like an epic amount of work. So we'll get into that later. But yeah, as you said, you're from South Africa. So what was it like growing up there? Um, well, I was originally born in Zimbabwe and moved to South Africa when I was 11. Um, yeah, so both of them really, really great countries to grow up in, running around in the bush barefoot, uh, riding bicycles out till, I suppose, in a way, similar to, to probably being in the UK or I'm in Scotland. You know, out until your mother could call you and your mother didn't know where you were until whatever time of night. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was an amazing it was an amazing childhood. Uh, you know, um, even even my children growing up in South Africa had a great time. You know, um, I think the weather plays an important role. Kids are able to be outside in the swimming pool running around. For me, health and fitness, which is the basis of my my blog, um, is really important. So you know, to be able to, children finish school at about two o'clock 
and then they get the afternoon off where they either have to do sports at school or they go home and they play in the swimming pool for the rest of the day. Mm. So, you know, I think it's a healthy lifestyle to lead. And um, and I think, yeah, it's the focus is less on um, I'm not I'm not going to say less on academics, but I think it's a lot more well-rounded in terms of um, kids going to school, doing their academics and then going home and having time, um, having time to themselves. Was photography a part of your childhood or were you a creative kid? I was a creative kid. I come from two very non-creative parents. <laughs> so um, they never recognized it. Um, my mom was, my mom sadly has passed away 10 years ago, but she was very, um, she was very much the alpha female in um, the alpha the matriarch of my family and she kind of determined exactly what subjects I did at school and what I was what I was allowed to do and not not allowed to do and in her world art and creativity just didn't feature at all um, you know I, I was I was about 10 or 11 and I won a major art competition where my picture was hanging up in a gallery and I wanted to take art as a subject going into high school and she she sort of said no I mean what are you going to do with art you know you can't form a career around art so you know you've got to take accountancy in um I'm dyslexic so accountancy for me is not an option um mm -hmm. so I struggled my whole way through school um doing these subjects that were supposedly setting me up for a great career in finance or <laughs> something else. Um, mm. But I think, you know, when there's that underlying creativity, it comes out and it eventually pushed and bubbled up to the surface and came out. Um, you know, I was always creating things and making things when I was, when I was younger. Um, you know, if I, if I didn't have a toy, I'd make a toy. Um, so I'd you know, get uh, cornflake boxes and put wheels on it and make a, to a car, that kind of mm. thing. So, um, I think that element of creativity has always been there. And mm. yeah, I think as an adult, it just kind of really came to the surface. And um, and and I, I think if you've got it, you've just got to let it go. Mm. And so did you follow through the, the sort of professional career path that was expected of you? Um, well, I stopped when I, when I um, finished school, I started working for Investec Bank. Um, and I was, I was with Investec for about eight years. And again, it's finance, it's money. It's, um, totally not the career path I should have been on. I loved working there. It was a great opportunity for me. I met my husband there. Um, so I don't regret any time that I spent working there, but, um, it was only when I, um, when I stopped working, um, to have my children that, and I had the time available that I really started to allow the creativity to flow. And um, it was actually through my husband who sort of recognized the creativity. And he's a, he, he's a photographer. Um, he loves shooting. He shoots wildlife photography. And he always sort of nagged me and said, you've got a great eye for photography. You should get into photography. Um, so that's basically where my photography started from with him. Um, he's always been, he'd always been a very pro Nikon user. Um, so that's how I got involved with Nikon cameras. Um, and I did a photography course, an introduction photography course in Cape Town about eight years ago. He actually gave it to me as a birthday present and said, you know, you've got to go and learn how to use a camera properly. Um, and it was sort of a six week course. Then I went and I did it. It just basically to teach you how to shoot in manual mode and a couple of sort of a couple of concepts. And, um, I did it and then didn't do anything with my camera after that, but put my camera down and, and didn't pick it up again for years afterwards. 
Um, so, I mean, it was, I, yeah, I think I've got a lot, I've got Derek to thank for a lot of this because, you know, he kept on, kept on pushing me. And then when I started blogging, he, he kept on saying, you know, don't use your phone. You've got to use a proper camera. You know, you've got to, you've got to get your skills back, you know? Um, so it was, it, it, it was definitely, definitely through my husband pushing me that, that got me into it. And so if I can go back to when the kids were younger, though that time allowed you to really tap into the creative side of things again with crafting and so on, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, I did um, I did a lot of art. So I studied, I, um, I went to a number of different art teachers in Cape Town and I studied different art techniques, um, painting on canvases. And uh, so I did that for about 10 years. I also started, and it's funny because I look back now and I, and I look at all these sort of little micro businesses that I started along the way, all have actually put, pulled together for my photography, for what I'm doing now. Um, cause I started a gift hamper business. So I was making bespoke gift hampers with, um, two friends of mine. And that was a lot of the styling element, you know, and, um, and, and placing of how I'm going to place things and, um, and, and composition. So, and then I also did, uh, I started baking a huge amount of cakes for a local home industry. So when I look at all of the things I did, um, in that time, I was actually building foundations for, for what I'm doing now. Um, mm. it's interesting. A friend of mine actually pointed that out to me. She said, you've taken all of your passions and combined them and made a career out of it. And at the time, I didn't actually realize what I was doing. But now, looking back, I was definitely forming foundations for what I for, for my career now. Hmm. That's really rewarding when you see that from this end of things, isn't it? Because yeah. you can't always know where you're heading until you kind of get there, right? And, and I think that's important that people need to understand that, you know, this kind of thing doesn't just come overnight. It's... and. You know, you can't rush it. You can't force it. And it's and it's about finding all of those skills and all of your passions and and bringing them together um, and trying to build something out of that. And so when you really got into photography, that was um, quite recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was about four years ago. I um, so it was building my website and building my my blog. Um, that I really wanted to have strong imagery. I realized that I really don't enjoy writing. Um, so obviously having a blog, you have to have for, for your SEO, you have to have people spending as much time as possible on that particular page. Um, so for me, it was instead of writing sheets and sheets of pages um, for people to to read, I decided to really bring them in with, with strong photography and keep them keep them on on that page with with strong visual images um so i you know, i did a couple of workshops and i basically just taught myself um it, the turning point for me was about four years ago when i entered pink lady food photographer of the year um that's that's a a competition a food photography competition and it's probably it's probably like the academy awards of food photography so it's the it's really prestigious one to enter for a food photographer and they've got different categories and I decided to enter as a blogger and it was, I mean, total, it, it was a total fluke. I really didn't expect to do well in it. I didn't even think my, I didn't even think I was a photographer. I felt like real imposter syndrome sort of entering this competition. Um, mm. and I didn't, didn't want to call myself a photographer. I called myself a blogger, which is why I entered the blogger category. Um, and then I was placed and I came third 
And then so many doors started to open up for me. And I, and I really struggled with the fact that I wasn't actually a photographer, but I was playing in a photography world. Um, and it was a it was a big mental mm. shift that I had to come that I had to overcome was to suddenly and because I always felt what well, if you're only a photographer if you studied photography and you've been in the industry for a long time and um, you know you you've got all the gear and and you know you've got all this technical knowledge that's what classifies you as a photographer so it was a big mental shift for me to to realize that I didn't need all of that to call myself a photographer. Um, and I remember the first day I changed my sort of job title on Facebook and Instagram to photographer. I was like, oh, are they going to realize that I actually don't know what I'm doing? <laughs> you know? yeah. I think um, a lot of people in any creative field can identify with the imposter syndrome thing. Um, so I, I was going to ask if you were um, intimidated by having to learn the new skills um, sort of in your 40s, I guess, if that's yeah. right. Or... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm 47. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have to rise to the challenge. And and I, and I think I've got two two daughters and they're, one's 22 and one's 19. And I think you've got, to, you've got to show them that at any age you're prepared to learn and you're prepared to grow. And, you know, I never want to be that person who, who goes, oh, I'm so old, I can't learn anything new. Uh, so I think it's important that you do keep growing and you do keep trying to learn. And and the one thing I've learned is that it's okay to say you don't know how to do something. It's okay to tell people nobody expects you to know everything. And that's one of the things working with Nikon that I've learned is that I don't have to know all the technical knowledge. You know, there's so many aspects that go into my type of photography that, you know, to, to be able to say I'm a creative photographer, I'm not a technical photographer, it's actually okay. And people accept that. It's when you try and be something you're not, that that's when there's an issue. Okay, so the, the path into photography for you was the, the, the passion for food came first, is that yes. right? Yeah, that's and then right. The, the photography was to propel the blog. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you're, you're a big chef or a home cook, or how would you describe that? I wouldn't call myself a big chef or a big home cook. I love cooking. Um, I do get freaked out when I have to do big meals for, for um, big family events and that sort of thing. My cooking skills started when I was about, when we moved from Zimbabwe to South Africa and my mom was working full time and then she'd come home and she'd cook very basic meals. And I remember, you know, I was a bit of a stroppy teenager and I said something about one of the terrible meals and she turned around and she said to me, okay, well then you cook. And I kind of just picked up the cooking from there and I started, but we didn't have an abundance of um, ingredients and we definitely didn't have an abundance of recipe books. So a lot of my cooking actually that I learned was just through instinct and working with what I had. Um, and again, that's a skill that at the time I didn't realize I was developing, you know, now mm. that now because I do recipe development as well. Now I look back and I go, okay, well, that's where that came from. That's where, that's where I learned how to do that. Um, so, yeah, I think when it, going back to your original question, it's just a gut, in, it's just guts instinct cooking. I find, I'm not a chef by any means, but I find cooking can be quite um, therapeutic in a way. You can just kind of throw yourself into mm -hmm. it and get into the zone. And um, I also find that with photography as well. Um, have you found sort of transferable skills from, you know, your cooking experience that transfer into photography? That sounds like such a strange question, but do you know what I mean? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously the creativity, there's just a huge amount of creativity on both sides. Um, And then, yeah, for me, again, like you said, I find it almost a form of meditation. So Mm. some days when I'm feeling, so I'm I'm writing my own cookery book at the moment as well. Um, And and some days when I'm feeling really overwhelmed with work and clients and that sort of thing, I'll take the day off and I'll actually work on my own book because that I find totally cathartic and relaxing and um, almost a form of meditation for me just to because I get totally immersed in what I'm doing and I forget what's going on in the outside world so um, definitely it's and and on both sides on the cooking and on the photography side so don't ask me a really heavy question while I'm working because um, a you might not get an answer or b I probably wouldn't remember the answer to it because Mm -hmm. I'm just so so highly focused on what I'm doing um, which is which is which is great. I love that. I, one of the things that really uh, drew, drew me to your, your photography was was very strong, obviously. But when I read your story that you came to photography, um, you know, it seemed to be around your forties. I thought that was really inspiring. Um, I'm sure a lot of people who are stay at home parents. Mm. I mean, did you ever feel that you had to put certain parts of yourself aside for for a long period while the kids were smaller? And was there a sort of, uh, um, it must have been really good to find a thing that was now your thing other than your life revolving around the kids. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that question because this is a, this is something really close to my heart. You know, um, I stopped working at the bank when I had my first daughter. Um, I went back. Um, in between my first and my second daughter, and I worked part-time for about a year um, at Investec. But then, um, you know, my husband made a good point, and he said, you can't serve two masters. And I was trying to be a good mom and be good at what, and, and be a good investment banker. And, you know, um, they're both quite high stressful jobs, um, jobs, if you can call that being a mm. mother a job. But um, I always thought that I would go back to working in the bank once my daughters were older. But I realized quite soon that that as they get older, they just bring different challenges. Um, You know, so my oldest daughter was um, a very high level gymnast. So um, as she progressed on the gymnastics train, it was extra training sessions in the afternoon. So the, the whole the whole idea of being able to go back to work was was get was just becoming more and more of a distant um, idea and, and and I was losing skills and I reached a point uh, you know when they were around 15 that kind of age mark where I suddenly felt totally unemployable I felt that I had no skills that I could put out to the market um, in any way and I, I used to say this to people and they used to go oh no you know that's rubbish you can you you know you can find any job and but I had reached a point where I felt I was totally unemployable and um, I always had this concern. I always thought, well, what happens when my when my when my daughters do grow up and then they leave home? What am I going to be doing? Am I going to be sitting at home watching Netflix? Uh, you know, that's not the kind of person that I want to be. Mm. Um, and I never in a million years expected to ever have a career like this. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something, and I knew I had to do something when they when they left home and when they moved on. But I never in a million years expected uh, this to ever happen for me. Um, and I think that was one of the reasons why I started blogging was really just to fill some time. You know, when, after we moved here, I was at home on my own. My daughters were at school all day. My husband was away all day. And so that's why I started blogging to to fill my day and to, I, you know, just to keep me busy. 
Um, and so I think I, I never expected it to become what it is. But I also think that if I had gone into it expecting it, it probably wouldn't have happened. So the mm. fact that it happened organically and it just it just grew, I think is is the right way. I, I see a lot of new photographers, or when I say new or young photographers, sort of picking up a camera and saying, right, I'm going to start a business now. And I think you have to build that passion. You have to build those skills. You've got to build that love for photography that you want to get up every single day and photograph. And I still do. I want to photograph every single day. And and I think that's the difference is that there's, you know, um, I think when you wake up and go, right, I'm turning this into a business, you can very quickly lose your passion. Hmm. Sorry, that was a bit of a long-winded answer to your question. No, it's okay. I, I just feel like a lot of people um, will be able to relate to that. And I think it's really encouraging for uh, for people who have been at home with kids to hear that actually there is a life after that, you know. Absolutely. And, and But I do think that when you're home with kids, you you can still work on yourself and you can give yourself some time. And you can build those skills. And like I said, you don't have to build the skills with the intention of starting a massive photographic business. Build the skills, photographing children, photographing your children, photographing going out on walks or your pets or something, because something can come of that at a later stage. You you don't have to start it with the intention of it ending up somewhere, anywhere. It It can just be to build your skills, to build your passion, to build your knowledge, and your technical and all of that, you know, it doesn't have to be with the intention of earning an income out of it in 10 or five years time. So, okay. So from my experience, um, and I've done a couple of food photography jobs over the years, um, it's really difficult. I think it's really time consuming. The attention to detail is, is very high. So can you remember, you said that you first started shooting with your phone mm-hmm. and then you transitioned to a camera. Do you remember those what those early experiences were like photographing food? I mean, did it come to you quite easily with the lighting and everything or was there quite a learning curve? Um, no, it didn't come to me naturally with the lighting. Um, I think I, I had one little table set up um, next to a window um, and it was actually backlighting. And for some reason that just, I didn't realize at the time, but it actually worked really well because backlighting works really well with food photography. Uh, certain certain food certain types of food photography. So, I was fortunate in a way that my setup just naturally happened to be the correct way to to photograph. Um, I then started uh, sort of reading up about it and learning, but my knowledge really came from just playing around and 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 and. Um, just taking it from different angles and different positions and seeing which one worked the best. Um, I'd also look at a lot of photographers' work, food photographers' work, and try and break it down and see how their lighting was, where their lighting was coming from. Um, Food photography is a different beast. And when I hear a lot of photographers, general photographers say, oh, I do portraits and I do landscapes and I do food, you've got to be very careful because your lighting for food is so different to any other type of photography lighting that you would use. Um, and I mean, you use for food, you use directional lighting. So it's di- it's lighting coming in from one direction. So it's either from the side or from behind. It's never straight on. You never have like traditional photography, normal portrait photography, it would be lighting straight on to your subject. But um, with food, it's from the side or behind. 
Um, so these are these are skills that, as a food photographer, you you learn um, the direction of the, of the light that you you wanted to come in from. And I and I always say to people who are who are learning, particularly food photography, is just stick with food photography. Um, if you that's how you're going to master your skill. If you start trying to do children's birthday parties and your auntie's wedding and um, different kinds of photography, um, first of all, you can lose confidence because you're just doing so many different different things. But second of all, there's so many elements to food photography that you need to master. There's the styling, composition, all of that over and above your lighting that's really important. That master that skill as much as you possibly can and 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 work on that as much as you possibly can with all your spare time so your shots um have a lot of dark tones and textures how did you sort of land on that style did you just think one day i'm going to shoot with dark tones and textures or did how did you evolve into that spot um i think i was naturally drawn to those types of images and what's funny is that my my blog, my website is actually a health blog. So my style of photography for a health blog is actually very different. Um, health blogs are normally bright and light and cheery and, and white backgrounds and that kind of thing. Um, but I was naturally drawn to the darker style. Plus, over and above that, I found it easier just to work in a darker, moody style because I use a lot of natural lighting. I've only... I mean, the last year started to use uh, rotor light, continuous light, um, just as a full lighting, but I still use natural light. Um, and then I think it's so a lot of it was also environmental. Um, I don't have an all white studio. I have different colors and light obviously reflects those colors into, into my images. So I really had to try and build up my style based around my environment um, and, and the colors that my studio are based around. Um, and yeah, so it, it's, it, it was a number of different aspects that um, drew me to that. So when a when the a cookbook client or a magazine comes to you, are they they're coming to you for your style, or do they in a way dictate the style? Um, it depends. Yeah. So brands that I work with, they come to me for my style, which I'm really fortunate to to be able to to shoot in my style. Um, and then cookbooks, it depends on the author. Um, it depends on what the author wants. Most of the time, they they're actually happy with my style. Um, on the other on the other occasion, they've come and they've said they wanted a bit lighter and brighter. Um, I did a baby um, a baby food shoot where we did sixty odd recipes of baby food, and obviously that can't be dark and moody. That had to be bright and light. So depending on the food that I'm shooting and um, and the client, they will determine uh, the style. So in your photography, there's a there's a sense of depth and texture that it's really sort of tangible. You sort of feel like you could reach in and pick something up from the photo, you know. And I think the low key kind of environment helps the the colors to pop, and the the styling is is very. Um, I find it really interesting or challenging to me because my for me I'm always wanting to remove distractions or other elements that I don't think need to be there. This is just how my brain works. Yeah. Um, and so when when I see your photography with other elements in the shot that are not the thing, I, I just wonder how you do that without being dis- distracting from the subject. It's a challenge to my wiring, you know. So and then there's the technical side. Obviously, technically, the photography is very good. So let's uh, come back to the styling and so on. But let's have a quick 
talk about cameras and camera equipment, if that's okay. So do you have a go-to camera and lens combination? Um, I obviously shoot Nikon. Um, I use a D850 um, and I use a Nikon Z7. Mm. Um, I have my two, I've, I've got two favorite lenses, which is why I shoot with two different cameras. So the D850, I've got the 105 macro, um, and then the Z7, I have an 85 millimeter, um, F 1.8, which, uh, mm. which is pretty much my go-to. And then I change bodies, uh, depending on what I'm shooting. I prefer, I've dropped a lens before in a, um, in a shoot. And that's not fun <laughs> mm. to see your lens roll off, you know, bounce on the tiles and then roll away. Um, so, so I, I prefer to shoot now with two camera bodies. I'm fortunate that I do have two camera bodies that I can interchange between shoots, um, so that I'm not changing lenses. Um, also, my my hands are in food a lot because um, I'm styling and I'm propping up food, and I'm so my my hands are um, do get quite dirty in a shoot as well. So. Um, instead of contaminating my lenses, it's easier just to change the bodies. Um, mm. A pretty go-to standard um, bread and butter kind of lens for food photography is a 50 millimeter. These are obviously on full frame cameras, um, mm. but the, the 50 mil is just a great, if anybody's wanting to get into food photography or start, the, I would say the starter lens would be the 50 mil f1.8. Mm. Uh, great lens. Do you tend to go with that or now do you tend to go with the slightly longer lenses? I go with it. I pretty much go with the 85 mil. That's pretty much my okay. go-to now. If I'm doing an overhead or a flat lay, then I'll do it with a 50 mil. Um, but generally, you see, it depends on the style that I'm shooting as well. Because if I'm shooting cookery books, they want uh, the food to be more in focus. They want more, they want a bigger food image um, with a sort of wow in your face kind of food um, image of the dish. So um, then the 85 mil or the 105 uh, macro is, is the one that I would generally use for cookery mm. books. And so do you tend to shoot at the wider end of the aperture range? So if it's straight on, I'll, I, I like a shallow depth of field. So I'll shoot probably around three to three and a half to, to five, depending on to F5, depending on mm. what I'm shooting. Um, and then if it's an overhead, I'll shoot anywhere from five, F5.6 up to F11, F12. Mm. So I think it's easy with those type of lenses to feel like you need to shoot at the widest aperture, but yeah. is there a point at which it just the background becomes too yeah. far out of focus? You need a little yeah. bit more. Absolutely, and and I think with that, you, that's why I mean the f one point four is 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 a is a great lens, but um, it's definitely not needed for food photography. Um, yeah, I mean, if the f one point eight is far is far cheaper um, and and perfect is ideal. Yeah, I mean, even at f one point eight, your background's so far blurred, it can actually be it can actually just be a detract um, detract from the actual image. So mm. you because because so much of it is about storytelling as well and connecting your viewer, making them feel like they're part of that image. Um, so that goes into the styling part. It's about being able to tell a story. So when you look at the picture, you feel like you're instantly getting a story. Ah, oh, that's um, toffee apples for bonfire night. I remember my bonfire night. You know, your viewer connects immediately. So mm. whereas you don't want your background to be too much in focus, so the eyes are popping around and not knowing where to where to land. You do want your viewer to know what they're looking at without feeling like they have to look at it. So actually just having that sensibility of where to land it is quite important, I would say. 
Yeah. Um, and so are you shooting the camera in manual? Yeah. Because I can imagine with the dark tones in the images, you might have to not be exposing it to the zero, right? You probably... Um, I do underexpose it slightly. I do I do work in manual I, and I underexpose slightly and then obviously I shoot in raw as well. So then a lot of my a lot of my look actually comes from post production. Um, because I think part of my style is to make sure that the food is uh, still as natural looking as possible. So I don't want my food to go dark and I don't want my food to look unnatural or, or to change colour. Um, so I actually shoot um, my set and my my whole setup actually isn't as dark as it as it may appear. Mm. Um, a lot of that moodiness is actually brought in through post production afterwards, okay. um, just so that I can keep my food the ac the actual natural color that it's supposed to be. Because food is one thing that everyone can associate with, whether you're a food photographer or whether you're a non photographer. When you look at a food food image, you know the color of strawberries. You know the color of a cabbage. So if it's the wrong color, it immediately makes you feel uncomfortable. You immediately know there's something wrong. So for me, it's about making sure that the actual food stays the correct color, the actual color it should be. And so are you shooting on a tripod? Yeah. Yeah, I, sh I shoot on a tripod um, because I'm backwards and forwards to my set the whole time. Mm. So to be able to ensure that my camera's in the same position um, and I can just go and readjust and go back and shoot again, you know, when I first started, I wasn't shooting with a tripod. I would shoot freehand. And I, I felt a lot freer and a lot more comfortable mm -hmm. shooting freehand. But then I find that I had a great shot, um, but maybe it was on the wrong focal point. But I couldn't get back to that original mm -hmm. picture because, uh, you know, you can't, you can't recreate that if you handheld. Mm -hmm. um, you, you'll never get that exact position. And so um, are you using predominantly window light for the lighting? Yes. So I use either the window behind me or I've got double doors on the side. Um, and then I'll close the curtains depending on which window I'm using, whether I'm using backlighting or side lighting. And then um, if I'm trying to really bring out specular highlights, uh, add a little bit of extra light into a pouring shot or um, target or make a hero out of one particular part of a dish, then I'll use the rotor light um, and I'll really channel that light in. Um, onto a specific area to make that the focal point. To move on to the sort of styling and, and, and the sort of logistics of the shoot, I was in my preparation going to ask if you use a stylist, but it's come to light that you're the stylist. And I, again, that's it's another skill. I mean, it's yeah, um, it's something like as a photographer for the type of commercial work I, I do, the sort of level that I'm at, I would I could go into a restaurant and they'll expect me to style it. So I might adjust, I might angle the sandwich slightly. <laughs> so, um, but um, that's it's a whole other skill. So where do you where does your styling influences come from? Because there's you know there's other textures, there's fabrics, there are newspapers, sheets of music. How do you pull all that together? Like is that in your head? You can just see that, or where does that all come from? Um, well, I mean, I'll start a shoot, and I'll start with the basics, and then I'll build. So it's, it's building blocks. So it's, there are some fundamentals of styling that you can apply immediately. So for instance, layering is really important and, in, and the composition, the placement of dishes um, is, is really important. So there's separation, they're not touching each other, uh, that kind of thing. Mm. And then from there you, you build and you just add little elements that, might, that might, you might want to um, put a little bowl of herbs 
in a place that's really kind of big negative space mm. area that you that you want to fill up or you might want to put a, a knife and fork or a spoon just to fill up a little area that that might be drawing attention um, that that you don't want it to. Um, so so yeah, I mean I don't I don't particularly I don't always start off with an end picture in mind. Um, I'll have an idea of the dish and I'll have an idea of the colors that I'm going to go with. Um, but that can always change. You know, I could, I could work for, I can work for two hours on one concept and then suddenly change the whole thing and, and do a full 180 and change it into another concept because it's just not working. Uh, so yeah, I mean, for me, I, I work through my viewfinder and everything for me is about what the image looks like through my viewfinder. That's why I say backwards and forwards behind my camera in front of the camera to moving things. Um, because it's, it's, it's all, it all comes together when I look through the viewfinder. What your set can look like when you're not looking through your camera is very different to what it looks like through your viewfinder mm -hmm. and the lens obviously that you have on as well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's building blocks. And in, in some of my talks, I actually show how I've gone through the progression of putting together images and put lights in, fairy lights, and I take them out and put different fabrics in um, to create leading lines. And I'll take them out and I'll change them and I'll explain why I've changed them because not everything works. So you can have an idea in your head and then you try and put it together and it doesn't work. So it's about just, it's about being open to changing. And then I use everything. I use everything. I use every wall. I use, I find things that just are lying around the house. Like I'll use a jumper in the background. So I, you, it doesn't have to be specific props that I've bought or that are specific for photography. It can be anything that I can find. If I find a basket or a piece of newspaper or a, um, one of my images was a piece of, um, it was a printed, it looked like printed newspaper and it came wrapped around a burger that we had one night for takeaways and I took it and I wiped it down and I mm. used it in an image later. So it's, you know, it's just, I find things, okay. I find things, anything. So do you have an open mind sort of creatively and you're visually aware something will just, yeah. you'll see it and you can put the two ideas together. I love that kind of creativity. So how long could it take roughly to find your way towards that final shot? Well, that's the thing. Um, my portfolio kind of shots that I have can take anywhere between 10 minutes to three or four hours. Mm. So, you know, some days I'm just so lucky. I just put it down and it just works. Mm. Um, some, of my some of my most powerful shots have literally taken me five or 10 minutes. Mm. And then there are other days where I'll bake a cake and I'll have this vision in mind and then it just doesn't work. And I'm backwards and forwards and I'm sweating and I'm panicking and I'm you know, huffing and puffing and I've got to go for a walk and I've got to make myself <laughs> a cup of tea and I've got to come back. Um, it's just, uh, it just depends. I'm glad to hear that other people panic and get all flustered because I do that as well. But it really resonates with me as well. A lot, sometimes it can come very easily, but a lot of the time it's a, it's a battle. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it, it doesn't come naturally and it, it may look like it does. I mean, by the time a picture goes out onto Instagram and it's got a caption about an amazing day that I've had, it's, it's quite, it can mm. be quite di different. Mm. Um, you know, the behind the scenes and a, and a lot of times people say, oh, you should film behind the scenes. And I sort of think 
can you imagine how bored people would be if I had to if they had to watch me three hours going backwards and forwards between my camera to the set, and then and then changing the whole thing and putting a whole new one together? It's you know there are some days where it just doesn't work. Mm. That's that's kind of encouraging because I think anyone who's starting to get into this would find that you know anyway. And yeah. you don't want to just be completely, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong necessarily. It's just, it's the path, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And some days you're more creative than others. And some days it just absolutely comes together. And other days it just doesn't. Mm. And you can't fight it. I was just going to ask um, about if you're shooting a book for, like a cookbook for a um, for a publisher, how long does that take? Also, how involved can they be? Do you need to keep them in the loop with every stage of the shooting every day or how do you do that so um i normally get about six weeks to shoot from when the from when the manuscript comes through to when my day de- to when i have a deadline um they're 75 the the publishers that i work with are 75 recipes 75 images mm-hmm. and then i do a cover um and then spread spread pages in between um chapter chapter starters and that sort of thing um so probably on average is about 95 to 100 images that I'll end up sending through to them. Um, it will, it's, it depends on, on the author. If the author submitted, we've had, I've had a couple of incidences where the author submitted late, so I've had less time to actually work. I still, I probably could apply for a, a, a deadline extension, but I try not to because mm-hmm. I know that the whole process is so tightly um, timed that, you know, if I, if I then go and apply for an extension, it makes it harder for everyone. Um, so I do still try and produce within my deadline. Um, so, sorry, your question was how long does it take? Uh, yeah, I was. It was. I I'd yeah. asked how long it takes, but I think I was really more interested in how involved the publisher is oh. in the process. Well, I'm normally more involved with the author. The author determines. So the author chooses the photographer. So um, in this case, what would happen is the publishers will put put forward a number of different uh, photographers that they use, and then the author will choose based um, on the style. Um, some cases I've been really involved with the author to the point where we've actually changed recipes that haven't worked. Um, uh, my, I've worked with one author on three different books, and by the third book, before she'd even submitted the manuscripts, we'd had meetings about different ingredients. Because being based in the US, obviously ingredients are also a bit, bit different. Mm. Um, so by that stage, we were actually at the point where we were discussing ingredients that were pretty universal um, and easy for both of us to find. Um, and then also, t- I was I, I would give her feedback in terms of some of the recipes, how they worked. If I didn't think that they would work, they were working. So, um, and then I've had other cases where I've I've just worked directly with the publishers um, and not had any communication with the authors at all. Um, so it really uh, I let the publishers determine what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I do is I submit images um, on a regular basis, so they're constantly seeing what I'm up to and what I'm doing. Um, and then once all of the images are submitted, they'll do they'll do a final walkthrough, check everything, um, check t- any technical issues or any issues if they want anything reshot, and then get, and then that's kind of where we get the go ahead to to for to go into to print. And so, do the publisher um, do some processing, or is that on your side? No, I do processing my side. Yeah, okay. so I get given the dimensions that they that the book will be in. Um, so everything is processed and cropped on my side. Okay, and so you have, yeah. maybe you have to shoot a little bit wider, knowing it's going to be yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. It's a really yeah. interesting insight into that world. And you've been really generous with your advice. I really appreciate that. Um, this brings us to a special round, which I call double exposure um, because I can't think of a better name. But um, let me know <laughs> if you think of one. I'm, I'm picking one of your photos um, to ask you about. And then I'm going to ask you okay. to choose a, a picture of yours that has a particularly good story or was a, okay. a big moment for you or something. So for me, um, I've found a picture on your website, which has got, um, and this isn't goes back to what I was saying earlier. I could never have come up with this. And, and it, I think it's brilliant. So there's a, there's a, it's a table and there are a pile of three books. And I think there's some salt on there and there's an egg. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Another one. Yeah. That's again, it's the kind of thing it cannot come out of my mind. Okay. <laughs> um, I would have, I would have been like, well, the, 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 the books are a bit distracting. Let's get rid of those and the salts a bit on the, the runny egg over the side. We don't want that. So I would have ended up with an egg on a white background, <laughs> but, um, which nobody wants to see. Um, but that's just my, you know, um, productive yeah. kind of way of looking at things. So how do you, how does that come about? And uh, what can you tell us about that kind of shop? Um, well, the principles of layering are really important. So to put an egg on a table is pretty boring um, or to put an egg in an egg cup has been done. So for me, it was, I do things in threes. Threes are really important. As with any type of photography, threes are important. So three mm -hmm. cheaters in the game reserve, um, all, you know, all really important. So three books immediately start. So I start by layering because I have to lift my egg up off the surface. So I obviously have quite a textured surface. I don't know if it's visible in that image, mm -hmm. but then I have the three books um, that are that are stacked. So immediately you've got your threes. And then I needed something to prop the egg up instead of an egg cup. Um, that's when that's when the salt came in. Um, so I used the salt to balance the egg. And then I always like an element of in my images to make somebody a little bit uncomfortable, not hugely uncomfortable. So the egg running over down the book, it must make you a little bit uncomfortable. So you actually stop and look at it. Mm. Um, you know, you'd never eat that. It's not something you would eat, but it's something I want you to stop and look at it and go, okay, that may, uh, yeah, just, just to give you that sort of uncomfortable, unnatural feeling mm. that's a little bit of mess does to people. It makes people feel a little bit and sometimes it makes them feel at ease but in this case i know with the egg yolk it makes you feel it does make people feel uncomfortable with the egg yolk running down over a book but that's the objective is to make you stop and have a look at it mm. it's very well it works it's very effective um <laughs> thank you and i don't get me wrong I, i'm not knocking your style at all i think it's incredible i just um it's just not a, a language that my brain can speak no, I don't. I don't get you wrong at all. Thank you. Um, so, is there was there a shot, or is there a shot that just for you was a big moment, or something? Maybe it took you to a new place in your career, or one special shot that you could talk about. Um, there's one. Uh, it's an overhead of um, apple tartlets, so it's pink, um, and it's apple tartlets in a box on a wooden on a wooden background. It look they look like little roses. They look like apple roses. So it's got sort of a pink fabric and then apple roses at, um, in, in a box. And then the fabric comes over the edge of the box. And then there's one or two roses um, on the fabric outside of the box. Okay. And that image, um, that, that's actually quite a funny one because I shot it really late in the afternoon. Um, I really struggled with the lighting on that one. And, um, and then over and above that, somehow I'd 
changed my camera to JPEG. So mm. I was shooting in JPEG. So then when I went into edits, I really struggled with getting the colors right. And it felt like I had concrete boots on. Um, just just really couldn't do anything with it. And I couldn't work out why. And later discovered it was shot in JPEG. Um, and it was one of those images where I thought, oh, all right, well, you know, I'll just put it out onto Instagram. Um, it's not my best. I'm not, I'm not over the moon about it, but I'll just put it out anyway. And it just went absolutely crazy. Mm. And it, it just went viral on Instagram. And then um, it was reshared and reposted. And then I got a phone call from a, I got an email from a magazine. They wanted to use it as a cover shot. And, you know, and I mean, even now that picture gets, gets shown in so many different talks and, um, and, you know, interviews. And it's so funny because I really, I didn't love that picture and I, I really wasn't connected to it at all. And I think, um, you know, sometimes you can become too emotionally involved in your images that you think that sometimes the ones that you think are really good are actually not as well received as the mm -hmm. ones that you think I, uh, you know, I think it was only because I felt the need to put it out, to put out a post on Instagram that day that I actually used it. Otherwise mm -hmm. I pro probably would never have used it and never have realized how popular that image would have become. Are there, were there takeaways from that experience that you've sort of applied going forward? Yes, always make sure that your camera's on raw. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Very important. Um, yeah, and just try not to become too emotionally involved in what you're shooting. You know, there's, it's subjective. There are so many, so what, don't, don't always think that just because you don't like it, nobody else will like it. Um, and, you, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I think I was emotionally involved because I just didn't like the fact that it was shot in raw and I battled and I struggled to, to do post-production on it, um, that it was shot in JPEG and I was, I, I battled with that image. So I immediately just didn't like it. Mm. And I think you, you know, for me, definitely learning that, um, it is all subjective and that mm. sometimes, you know, other people don't know the struggle that you've had with an image. So either, you know, there's, there's so many stories, there's so, there are so many backstories to good images. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's important not to try and add that backstory into your image if mm. um you know and not not make it too personal what advice would you give someone who's trying to get into this kind of photography um this kind of photography as i mentioned earlier is learn everything you possibly can about this photography so yes as it's it's good to be an all-around photographer but if you want to specialize work on your speciality focus on your speciality don't start trying to do i've seen so many young photographers who i've mentored and i've worked with and then they go and they they're getting their confidence just to a beautiful level and then they go and shoot their cousin's newborn baby or somebody's wedding and that person doesn't like the images and then there's issues and then they lose all their confidence mm. so for me it's about focusing on what you want to do and building those skills. Um, and there's enough that you can focus on between styling and, and cooking and photography that should keep, that should keep people focused and busy. Um, and then the other thing for me is, um, don't focus on Instagram followers and what Instagram is saying. Um, some of my best images that have done really well in competitions haven't done well on Instagram. Um, and then some of my other images have done really well on Instagram, like, 
that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Instagram is not is not a benchmark for how, how good a photographer you are mm-hmm. and how many followers you have and how many likes you get on an image. Um, that's not – and I think a lot of people do focus too much on, on what Instagram is saying and doing and not actually on their actual skill. Mm-hmm. What does the future look like for you? What's on your radar in the short term? And obviously we're in the context of the pandemic. Um, what's the future looking like for you in the next couple of years? Um, at this stage, this week, I'm doing a big shoot for, I'm doing a big campaign for um, a fruit company, for a fruit board, um, Spanish persimmons. So um, yeah, we've got a, I've got a chef coming in. She's actually going to be doing the cooking this time. Um, so that I can fo- focus purely on the work, on the photography side. Uh, so that's this week. We've got Photo London on Friday. And then um, for the rest of the year, I'm purely focusing on my cookery book that I'm writing. Um, so I've, I've, got to, I've got to submit that by the end of the year. And then, yeah, next year we, it's, being, it's coming out. So next year will we'll be all about the launch and, and the book. Um, yeah, yeah, and then whatever opportunities come along. I mean, what I've learned over the time, and I think, uh, I think what's, what's, what's been my success in my career is that I haven't said no to opportunities. So when an opportunity presents, I, I, I panic and I have a little quiet moment where I go, I can't do this, I can't do this. And then I accept and I go, yes, I'd love to do that. Mm. And, I, and I take it on as a challenge. So I'll take on whatever challenge arises and, and see where we go with that. Good for you. I like that. Um, so with your book, is it uh, focusing on uh, paleo kind of recipes? Is that, would that um, be right? No, it's not paleo specific. It's um, general health recipes. Uh, there's vegan recipes. There's, they are all gluten-free and all dairy-free. Um, but it's just the concept is that because um, underneath most, most, most ceilings, most houses these days, we actually do end up having different diets. So it's a concept of having different diets within a family. Um, My one daughter's vegan, my other daughter's keto, and we're all gluten-free and dairy-free. So Mm. it's about having a variety of different diets um, and recipes all under one roof just to to have a healthy family. That's exciting. It's really, it'll be exciting to see that come out. Yeah, thank you. Um, Okay, one more round. It's a quick fire round. Again, I'm short on ideas here, but I wanted to call this round Motor Drive because it means it's fast moving. So it's a quick fire round. Let's do this. Please. Um, Okay. Wide angle or telephoto? Uh, Telephoto. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Head or heart? Heart. Okay. I I thought you might go with head because you seem like a really smart lady. (laughs) Um, What was the last great book, movie, series or album you experienced? Oh, um, my, the octopus teacher on Netflix. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I'll check that out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, expensive lens cloth or just the corner of your shirt? Oh, expensive lens cloth for sure. Oh, good for you. You're you're a professional. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, okay. What's a weird thing I could find in your camera bag or in your kit? Oh, the uh, little spirit level that you slip into the top of the camera where, the, where you would normally put, I think it's, you would normally put a flash in there. I don't know because mm-hmm. I don't do flash, but it's a little spirit level. Okay. Loads, in fact, loads of spirit levels, different spirit levels. <laughs> you have a few, a collection. Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, who's your favorite photographer right now? Um, 
I love I, I love Annie Leibovitz because she's just I think she's just a great female inspiration and she's non-technical like me. She's a creative photographer. Mm. I love the fact that she's open and honest about it. And I think that's inspiring for, for all mm. of us. Yeah. Something you wish you'd known five years ago. Um, don't think that you're too old to do anything. Okay. Thanks. Take that one on. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what's the one thing, photography thing that you bought? You thought it was a good idea, but you never use it. Well, I've got loads of backdrops that I've that I've bought that I've never used. I'm not a I'm not a big spender when it comes to photography things. So I kind of really really have to know that I want something before I buy it. So mm. yeah, I'm I'm not uh, yeah I'm not a, I'm not a techie, so I don't rush out and buy stuff and then regret it. When do you feel at peace with the universe? When I'm doing post production. Oh really? Yeah, that's flow my there. that's my deep. I call it my church, my my meditation zone. That is my deep, deep, deep find myself time wow. when I'm editing. Well, that's good. Okay. <laughs> Where can people go to connect with you, support your work, and find out more about what you do? Um, my website, DonnaCrass.com, or Instagram, DonnaCrass. Direct message. I love answering questions and just even just to say hello. I'm quite a chatty person, so I'm happy to I'm happy to talk to people. Yeah, you're quite active on Instagram, and I've seen in your story you're quite always interacting with people. So if yeah. can, people are, yeah. are looking for advice and so on, they can find you there. Definitely, definitely. Okay, thanks a lot, Donna. I would I would have talked for much longer. I'm really interested in your backstory and everything. Oh, thank you, Brian. As well as the photography side of things. So um, thanks so much for coming on, and um, really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Graham. Thanks for listening. I hope you were as inspired by Donna as I was. Follow Donna on Instagram. The link and links to some of the things we spoke about are in the show notes. I would love to connect with you and you can find me on Instagram, YouTube and at the Viewfinders webpage where you can get my free ebook. Again, links are in the show notes. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give it a kind review. It really makes a difference and helps get the show in front of more people. While you're there, check out some more episodes. Enjoy your photography, be kind and I'll see you out there.